before I begin, uh, they gave me instructions about the mic. If at any time you can't hear me, just like let me know. Don't be afraid. Because if you can't hear me, then I'm just talking to myself. But I'll try to keep, they told me to keep it close, so I'll try to do that. Um, let's begin with a little prayer, trusting this time that we have to Mary, uh, that she may bless us and help us to be true disciples. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and in the hour of our death. Amen. So, this is my first time proving the journey I've ever been here before. And so I thought what I would do is share a little bit of my story of how I got to where I am and a little bit of my own experience of, of being a gay deacon, kind of like what, what it looks like and what was my experience going through that. And um, through the lens, though, of Pope Francis's new letter that he just wrote, he wrote an apostolic exhortation called Gaudete and Exultate, which means rejoice and be glad. And it's a whole letter on the call to holiness in the modern world, which is what we're all striving for. And so I just read the letter. And so as I was reading the letter and preparing to talk, some things kind of jumped out at me. And I saw some similarities in my own story with what Pope Francis was saying. And what really stuck out to me was that he gives five signs for holiness, particularly in today's world, um, that he thinks are, are relevant to the struggles that we have. And so those five things I've noticed in my own life, and I think we can all strive for those five things to help us grow closer to the Lord. So those five things are, number one, is a humble perseverance. So you're gonna, you, you persevere through trials, but you go through life not, not always seeking to teach others, but willing to learn in every experience, whether it's hard, hard or easy, having the humility, but persevering in that humility. The second is a joy. Joy is all the saints, and there's the joy about it. You can see someone who you know, you, you, you know, at church all the time, and you're close to God, and you know that, that person has a joy of the Lord. There's a joy about it. The third one is the boldness in proclaiming the gospel. Not willing to sit in complacency and mediocrity, but willing to put yourself out there and to strive for the sanctity that we're all called to. The fourth is community not seeking the Lord individually in our own terms, but with our friends, with our families, with those around us. Community is necessary for that. And then a constant prayer, always being in dialogue with the Lord. And so those five things are what Pope Francis calls out. And as I read that and noticed that each one of those things was influential in my own life, both in ordination and in my call to the priesthood, and so I, I want to keep those five things in the back of your mind as I'm, as I'm speaking and, and see how that may impact your life and how you could, how that, maybe those five things have touched you somewhere that can inspire you to uh, strive for a little more. So I was born and raised Catholic. I went to Catholic education my whole life. So I'm, I'm basically a cradle Catholic. We went to Sunday Mass uh, every week. And it was all, I always knew it was something important. I don't know if I could have told you why it was important. It was, I just, I learned religion class as another subject next to history, next to English, next to math. It was stuff I knew, and I knew a lot. I knew all the things. Um, what I was lacking was the relational aspect about why it mattered. What, what's the point of all this? I knew I was, I was always gonna go to mass on Sunday, 
But I think I was always going to go to Mass on Sunday because that's just what that's just what you do. My parents instilled me in that well, you just go to Mass on Sunday because that's what you do. I don't know why, I think if you would have pressed me, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. Um, so, but it was, all, it was always something, you know, it was there. I wasn't off not going to church, doing all these crazy things. So when I went to Nichols, I went to study biology with plans of being a doctor. That's why I wanted to help people in that way. And it was while I was at Nichols that I encountered the campus ministers there. So they were a group of missionaries who were at Nichols for a couple years, and their whole mission was to teach people how to pray. And they did that through chanting the Liturgy of the Hours. So the Liturgy of the Hours is um, a set of prayers of the church. They have you know, morning, daytime, evening, and night prayers. That it's a collection of psalms and readings from scripture. And this, this has been with the church from the beginning. It takes its root from the Jewish prayers, where they would pray at certain times of the day. We see that in Acts of the Apostles, mostly. Where at the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the, the, the apostles would go to the temple and pray. And so the church has continued that tradition. Now religious brothers and sisters, priests, and deacons take a vow and a promise to pray at this hour every day. But they're, they're forever, anyone can pray these hours, and they're, they're beautiful texts to help facilitate that encounter with God. And so these missionaries would chant the Psalms in a, a beautiful way. So it's actually my mom who encountered it first. And she came to me and said, Patrick, this thing, they, they do this thing called night prayer at St. Thomas at the end of every day, and it's a beautiful way to just end your day. And I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll try doing it one time. So I went. And I was struck by the, number one, what I was struck by was the beauty of what they did. I think beauty is, is something important that everyone's attracted to beautiful things. Whether you go to church or not, whether you believe in God or not, everybody acknowledges beauty. And I think beauty is an important way to help people encounter God. Because if God is real, God is the most beautiful thing, beauty is just that, that way most people are susceptible to encounter God. So that's what struck me at, the beauty of it. And as I looked at them, they had something about them that I just, I knew there was something that I didn't have that they had. And as I was reading Pope Francis, though, it was, it was honestly those five things. They had a joy about them. They, they just, they, they knew the Lord and they, you could see that in the way that they, they acted. They had a community, that they were together, they were seeking the Lord together, and they were, they were on this journey together. And they had a boldness in the way that they spoke, in the way that they prayed, in the way that they proclaimed the gospel. And the fact that, like, you know, they they come up to everybody and just like ask them, "Hey, how are you doing? Do you want to come pray with us?" That takes courage. And the fact that they obviously had a depth of prayer; they were praying all the time. And so all these things kind of like stuck out to me. And so I started going more and more. I noticed that, and I wanted it. So I would, I could, you know, sometimes I'd start going to night prayer when I could. I'd go to night prayer every day. And, oh, I don't have class this morning. I could go to morning prayer on this day. And, oh, well, I'll, I'll go to yeah, daytime prayer after mass. I can stick around for that. And there wasn't any big revelation experiences. God didn't, like, come in thunder and lightning and come and speak to me. But it was a slow building. That was, like, my first experience of real prayer beyond like saying our fathers and Hail Marys. That was like my first experience of knowing that God, you know, desired a relationship with me and that he could hear me 
and that I could speak to him. And why I think the hours are really helpful for that is that the Psalms, it's called, the Psalms, the, the fathers say that they contain every emotion in the, in the human experience. So there's Psalms that speak about good things, joy, uh, sorrow, bad things, uh, you name it, there's a Psalm for it. And so what the Psalms did for me is they kind of were like my training wheels. They gave me the words to speak to God when I didn't, I didn't know how to, that is, I had never had that experience before. So they gave me the words to start the conversation. And it's beautiful that like, so the Psalms are inspired by God. So God gives us the words to speak to him. So through that, I just kind of developed a, a relationship that I had never had before. And that slowly began to build until it, it became the center thing. Like I knew this is what, this, this is where the meaning of life is really. Pope Francis used a, a quote in his letter from Blessed Charles de Foucault, who is, I've never heard of him, he's a, a French uh, monk who is beatified right now. I don't know, his cause of canonization, I guess, is still open. But he said, as soon as I believed that there was a God, I understood that I could do nothing other than to live for him. And so that was kind of that. I read that and I was like, that's, that. I knew I wanted to be all in as soon as this began to happen. And it got to the point where I was scheduling classes around the hour. Like, I, I, I can't take this class because I have to go to morning prayer. Unless it was like a biology class that I absolutely needed. Um, so eventually it just got to the point, I remember distinctly, I was sitting outside in the hallway of the biology room, and we were waiting for the previous class to get out so that we could go in for our, our uh, biology class. And everybody was talking about the MCAT, we're getting around MCAT time, which is the big test that you have to take to get into medical school. Everyone was talking about how they were going to study for the MCAT and what they were going to do, and people tell horror stories about the MCAT. And I was just, I, I, I remember, and I was like, I cannot do this. Like, why am I going to put myself through this for this? I don't, I don't have any passion for this anymore. They were all excited about it, and the thought of taking the MCAT was like, I just knew I couldn't do it. And so, it got to the point where I realized. Like, I have to do something about this. I can't, if, if, this, if, if this is all real, and if this is what I think God has called me to do, I have to do this. I have to be bold and take that step. And so, the final straw, I had a molecular cell biology test. And I was studying, I studied, probably not as hard as I should have, because I was pretty decided that I wasn't going to continue. <laughs> and so, I took the test, and I said, if I do good on this test, I'll, I'll stick it out and we'll see what happens. I kind of set myself up for failure, which I did. But, so then I, I bombed that test. And so I said, all right, this is it. I was just playing games with myself, really. But so I walked out of the, I got the test, I walked out, I went and dropped the class, and then I called the vocation director, with Father Josh Rodrick at the time. And so I met with him, I started the application, and I, after three years at Nichols, I went to St. Ben's in the fall. And so I've been in seminary now for five years. Um, so yeah, so that's, those, that's how I got to this point. So now I want to jump a little bit forward to the, my actual experience of ordination. Because that that's just an incredible, it's an incredible right, an incredible experience that's like once in a life, well, twice in a lifetime for me. <laughs> um, and that, but it's something that a lot of people don't actually get to experience just because they happen so they happen once a year. So I would 
like to just talk a little bit about what happened and what was my experience like going through that. Um, so the days leading up to ordination, I was absolutely freaking out. So a lot of people will say that the pre, you know, the priesthood is the big ordination, which in a sense it is. For, in my experience, most of the guys in my class and guys who I've talked to, it's actually the deactive ordination that's the bigger moment for them because it's a disordination when you're like, your discernment's over and you're making, you're making these promises. You're gonna pray the breviary, you're gonna pre-celibate, you're gonna be a, this is, you're leaving the lay state to be a cleric for the rest of your life. So needless to say, I was a little nervous because all this thing that I had been discerning for five years, five plus years, is coming to an end, you know, at 10 o'clock on May 26th. It's over. So I don't, I got the couple days before ordination, I don't think I ate a full meal for like two days before ordination. I, I was after I preached my first homily, the night of the ordination, that I finally was able to eat something. Um, so, so that, that was the big, that was, it was, it was a good, a good nervousness, but it's kind of like, I guess I equate it to the night before your wedding. Um, that's just what you're saying, you yes to this person forever. This is for life. And this was be these big life decisions way on So by the time I got to the, the morning of the ordination though, I had prayed, I had, and I was ready. And I, I knew like God had given me this mission and this is what I, I was, I knew this is what I wanted to do. So processing in, processing to mass, it's, it's all within a normal mass. So we process into the mass. Um, one particularly moving thing that was for me was the Gloria. Um, for some reason that always gets to me. But just being there, like just very conscious of like the grace that's about to happen to me and seeing glory to God in the highest who's done all these great things, um, that was a particularly moving experience for me. Just, it's a, it's a hymn of thanks and praise to God and that's all that I could really do at that moment because I was, that was all the grace for me. And so the first thing that is actually different for the ordination rite is called the election. So after the gospel, everyone sits down and they call those to be ordained to come forward. So they call your name and you stand up and say present. And so that symbolizes like this is a call. This is something, it is something you're doing, but first and foremost, it's a call from God that you, you, you're giving yourself to. And the bishop asks, do you know them to be worthy? And so they, the, the vocation director gives a testimony to their worthiness. And this, as I prayed with the right beforehand, this really stuck out to me, is that the bishop's response to this testimony of their worthiness is basically ignoring the testimony of worthiness. He says, relying on the help of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ, we choose these things. Not because of their worthiness, but because of God's grace. Because if we rely on my worthiness, we're not going to get very far. But this is all the grace of God. So then, after the election, everyone sits down and Bishop gives his homily. Bishop Fob gave an incredible homily um, focusing on the chalice. So as you notice at Mass, the deacon is particularly connected to the chalice. So he prepares the chalice during Mass. He elevates the chalice at the dexology. Most properly, he's, he is the minister of the chalice at Mass. And he talked about how the two things that stuck out to me three things, but two things with the chalice. 
he pours the water in the wine, and it's the little water with the wine that's all transformed into the body, into the body and blood of Christ. And so we talked about how we we're the water, and Jesus is the wine. And so we are transformed by the sacrifice, by our entire ministry, into to be part of the body of Christ. And our I'm, I'm transformed in ordination, we're all transformed in mass. And there's a particular call for us all to journey together in this transformation to Christ. And then the second part was elevating the chalice. Spoke about how important it is for for us to elevate each other, um, not in kind of like condescending way, but whenever you, we need help through love, through compassion, through mercy, to lift each other up to to be able to receive that transformation. And then. He closed the homily by quoting Psalm 116. He said, I'm blanking now. How can I repay the Lord for his goodness to me? The cup of salvation I will raise, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And when he, uh, he, when he said that, that, I was, how can I repay the Lord for his goodness to me? And like what flew through my mind was basically everything that I just said. All that the Lord has, and more, and so much more. But all the Lord has done getting me to this point, it, the, the fact that it's all a grace, the holiness, faith, all of this is a grace that we can't bring upon ourselves. And so how can I, I was like, there's no way I can thank you, Lord, but that, that, that was when I almost started crying the first time. So after the homily, this is when the promises happen. So we promise uh, to consecrate our whole life to God. We promise to be celibate for the rest of our lives and that special relationship with Christ and a sign of the kingdom to come. We pray to, to maintain a spirit of prayer and pray the liturgy of the hours. And that was a particular, particularly special promise for me because that's where this all started, was in the liturgy of the hours. And so it, it, and throughout the last five years, that's been a special source of prayer and of, of an encounter with God for me. So that going back to the breviary, it's been, it keeps me it keeps me grounded in where I started, and it's always been it's been a particularly you know close form of prayer in my heart. So that prayer was that promise was an important one. Um, and the last promise we make is obedience. So we, we each of us would go up to the bishop, we put our hands like this, and bishop puts his hands on the outside of it. We promise respect and obedience to him, and we were like you know face to face with bishop and. The love, the love and the concern and the care that like I saw in his eyes, that's another thing that stuck with me, is seeing that. And like being so, it's so joyful to promise obedience to a man who I know loves me and loves all of us. From the promises, we move to the litany of saints. So what that involves is the people who are being ordained lie down on the floor as a sign of total, total submission total emptying. And the whole church prays, we pray to all the angels and saints in heaven for, for those people being ordained. Because we recognize this is all, this is a grace. So that was the, the most moving experience for me. Someone told me before ordination, you know, during the litany, like it's not your job to pray. It's not your job to try to do that. Your job is just to receive the prayers of the people. And so I was I didn't I didn't sing any of the litany at all. I just lay there. And it seemed like I was there for an eternity, but in a good way. 
Like, I can't really describe the experience. I could, uh, my prayer that I would, that I, I, I lay down and thought, Lord, just let me be empty so that I can receive the gift that you want to give me. And so, I was, it was, I don't know what, I don't know how to describe it, but it was an experience of grace, really. Um, I, I felt the love of the Lord, and I, that's all, that's really all. And when I, when it ended, and I stood up, I was, I was kind of like, I was, I was confused, I was dazed, I was like, uh, kind of out of it. And so I forgot where I was supposed to go, what I was supposed to do, and so I turned around and came back down, and then I spread the other guy with me, or they moved forward, and then I moved, I went, I, I assumed that we were everything together, so I went to move with them, but I wasn't supposed to move, so they pushed me back, and then, because this, after that, it's the laying on of hands and the prayer of ordination, which is like, that's the moment when it actually happens. So that was Brett moving to get his hands laid on him, and so I was like, okay, boy. And so I was there. It seemed like everything was just so fast after that. Um, and it was, it was all, honestly, a blur, which I think is good because I, could, I couldn't really think about it. I couldn't think much during the laying on of hands and the prayer. I just had to receive the, the words of the bishop and receive that grace in that moment. And so, after the prayer, we stand up and we're vested as deacons. So they put, they put the stole and the dalmatic, which is the deacon wears, on us. And at that point, I was still kind of, it was still hazy. A little trouble getting the dalmatic on me, but that, that was fine. Um, and then the bishop hands each of us a book of the gospel. And when he hands us a book of the gospels, he says, Believe what you read, teach what you believe, and practice what you teach. So, believe what you read. The only way you're going to believe, the only way I can believe what I'm reading is through that constant prayer. The only way I'm going to be able to teach well what I believe is that boldness in proclaiming the faith. And then practicing what I preach requires, for, for people to, to notice that, requires a joy and a humility. So all these things that Pope Francis was talking about, I just see, I see sprinkled throughout all of this. And so the final thing after receiving the book of the Gospels is the, the fraternal kiss of peace. And so the bishop, you know, it's like a, a, a sign of fraternity and community. And so the bishop and all the deacons who were present each come and give, they embraced us. And so that was a moving experience for me, both the deacons, the permanent deacons of the diocese, as well as classmates, who were with, who were, had been seminary with me for the last five years, some were there as well. And so it was just, it was, it was highlighting the communal aspect, the fact that I'm not in this alone. None of us are in, you know, the life of holiness alone. And so the, the community was definitely present there. So after that, it's just a regular mass. So, <laughs> after all that, it's just normal mass. That I had to then be the deacon for, so that was a whole other, I gotta do this, gotta do that, gotta do that. But, so that, those, that was, that's kind of my experience of ordination. Um, it was an unforgettable, you know, day, for sure. Um, I still, things come to me, someone told me to journal, journal a lot about it. Because you're gonna come back to that, you're gonna, you're gonna realize new things, and you're gonna see things you forgot. So I tried to do that, and it's been a, it's been a source of a joy and grace for me these last couple of, uh, I guess it's been a month and a half now, which is crazy. <laughs> um, 
And so I hope in, in hearing that and seeing these five things, the joy, the perseverance, the community, the prayer, and the boldness, my, everyone's got a particular path to holiness, but it's really all the same. Like these things apply, they apply to all of us. I'm not, some, I'm not different than anybody else. God speaks to us through these ways. And I think Pope Francis is onto something when he's encouraging all of us. Everybody's called to holiness. Um, not, just, not just those people whose job it is to pray. Everybody is. And I think if we examine those five things, we can strive for those things and some encounter God in ways that maybe we haven't before, be more open to ways that he's trying to encounter us. So that is my story, I guess. I guess I'll stick to it. <laughs> Thank you.